Welcome to My Life, Ksiddus Applied, episode 207. This is a special Yud Aleph Nisan and Pesach edition, and a special edition that we will announce the 2018 My Life, Ksiddus Applied essay contest winners. So welcome to everyone. We will begin with, um, of course, the thing that is most Zman the most timely, is Yud Aleph Nisan this week. On Tuesday, then follow. Then on, uh, on Thursday will be Yud Gimel Nissen. Yud Aleph Nissen, of course, the birthday, the 116th birthday of the Rebbe. Yud Gimel Nissen will be the the yard is the, is the yard site of the Samach Tzedek. This will be the Tovresh Chavov. So we're talking about Tovshin um, Chavov, um, 118 years. And it's also Erev Pesach, we know, is the birthday of the Rambam. Additionally, Yud Gimel Nissen, which is less known, but the Rebbe brings it also in Sichas, is also the yard site of the Beis Yosef. So it's a, day, it's a week filled in this month, the early week of Nissen, the first week of Nissen, filled with these special days. But closest to us, of course, is Yud Aleph Nissen. So we'll talk about that, we'll talk about Pesach, we'll talk about a number of questions, and most of it we focused around Rebbe, Rashvi and uh, Pesach themes. So, um, as always, I want to begin by uh, welcoming you all and thanking you for your questions and your comments at meaningfullife.com slash mylife. It's the place where you can submit every anonymous question and give your comments. And please keep them coming. They can be positive. They can be critical. Everything is, is acceptable. And we will try to address them all in their right time. Being that there is a backup, we can't talk about it every week. We also very much encourage, especially in the spirit as we go into the month of Nisan to Pesach, your partnership to make this possible. It's a public service for free. A lot of work goes into it, and more than most people even expect. If you can help us by partnering with us by sponsorships of any size or any amount that you would like to sponsor by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash sponsorship. Making helping us grow and help expand this program. With that, let us go straight to Yudalif Nissen. I've spoken about the topic of Yudalif Nissen in the past. Now I'll make some cross-referencing where you can find it all meaningfullife.com slash my life. Cross-referencing to Yudalif Nissen in episode 62 and 158 about Yudgimul Nissen. Interesting thing, of course, is that the Reb is named after the Samach Tzedek. Um, so they both have a connection, besides being Chabad Rabbeim, also by name, and many similarities, especially in the style and approach of the Rebbe's teachings and Torah, which we have discussed about, not discussed other times. But I think to, to address Yud Alf Nissen on many different levels is the Rebbe's birthday, the day that, as the Rebbe writes in a uh, writes in a, thirty years ago when he launched the Mifza Yemeladis, writes the Giburt brengt. Zayn Metzius, Zayn. Birthday brings one's existence into being. His Zayn in Yiddish's existence is being. And therefore, the Rebbe writes, the birthday is the single, is the most important day. Because it, everything follows that. Now, of course, that applies to the Rebbe himself. The day that the Rebbe emerged in this world, in Tofrei Samach Beis, 116 years ago, Yud Alef Nissen, ultimately to become the day, the, the Nasi Hashvi of Chabad, the seventh Nasi, and lead us toward the Geula, as the Rebbe says in the first Maimon of Basiligani, Chol Shvi and Chavivin. 
So there's a few questions that have been asked about the seven, the Rebbe's connection to seven, the connection to Malchus, which we'll talk about. But before that, I want to just speak in general, Yudal Nissen, the obvious Chassidus applied lesson to our lives is, this is the day where we connect above all with the Rebbe's teachings and his directives to us, the day Mazole gave it, the day the strength and the mazel of the Rebbe and the Rebbe, all the Rebbe's activities and all the Rebbe's investments from, from, from the first day that the Rebbe led his leadership through all the years and of course culminating with the ultimate mission that he gave us and charged us with, which is bringing the Geula, Amitiz Vashlem and Mashiach, doing whatever we can. So I saw an interesting letter, which I thought it would be really worthwhile reading, very fitting, written in Tovshim Amalev on the 12th of Nisan, and the Rebbe writes as follows, in the P.S., although it is not customary nor proper to ask for a birthday gift, this is the Rebbe writing, but considering our special relationship, I venture to do so, being confident that you will treat it in the proper spirit. The birthday gift that I have in mind, which I would consider an honor, as well as a great pleasure, is that you devote a quarter of an hour of your time every weekday morning and dedicate it for the sacred purpose of putting on tefillin with appropriate prayer that goes with it, such as the Shema and the like. The latter need not necessarily be recited in Hebrew. If you can manage this in 10 minutes, I'm prepared to forgo 5 minutes and let it be only 10 minutes of your time. In addition to the thing itself, being one of the greatest mitzvahs, as our sages said that the whole Torah was compared to it, meaning tefillin, the mitzvah of putting on tefillin on the left arm facing the heart and on the head, the seat of the intellect, has a special divine quality of purifying the heart and the mind, emotion and reason, and bring them in the proper balance and harmony. While this is important for every Jew, it is certainly of special significance to one whose activities normally involve a great deal of mental and emotional strain, and it is highly important to have them in the proper balance for the utmost degree of efficiency. The above is of additional significance, in your case, as chairman of the board of the Rabbinical College of America, in which you have such remarkable hatzlacha with God's help and have been able to involve many others to follow in your footsteps. Thus, the quote-unquote birthday gift would also have a salutary impact on the Rabbinical College, its administration and students, and further wide the channels for all concerned to receive God's blessings, blessing materially and spiritually. I trust that you put on film every morning in any case, and the reason I'm asking you the above is only that you should make it a definite point on your calendar to make sure that your preoccupation with your personal business and the business of the rabbinical college would not distract you even once to overlook the putting on of film. And this will be my reward. PPS, although matters of the rabbinical college, I usually send a copy of our distinguished to our distinguished mutual friend. I'm not sending him a copy of this letter, considering his personal nature. I leave it up to you whether you wish to show it to him. So you see there, birthday gift, people give all types of gifts, and here the Rebbe is asking a gift as a mitzvah. Mitzvah tefillin is one of the Rebbe's, of course, mitzvahim, uh, meaning something special focused on this generation. But the point being here, that the, way, the best way to honor the Rebbe's birthday, as the Rebbe himself explicitly says, is in this mitzvah, and Kamuvan and understood other mitzvahs as well. It's interesting to note, I remember in 1982, in Tovshin Membeis, Nasha Shmenim, usually the people who have a birthday receive gifts. And the Rebbe then gave a gift, besides, gave, besides the gifts he would give of dollars, he gave them the Tanya, the, the classic Tanya that with all the Shablats from all the Tanyas published all around the world. The Rebbe gave it, stood all night giving out a Tanya. It was very interesting to note how the Rebbe used the birthday as an opportunity to give, not just to receive. But here's a clear request, so we don't, it doesn't need any explanation of how to honor Yudalif Nisan. With that said, let's talk about 
about, there's many angles to speak about. So I'll just talk, what is the connection between the Rebbe as the leader of the seventh generation and Malchus? Now, we know that the Rabbeim, this is coming from the Rabbeim themselves, because no one would have the, the right or the, 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 the nerve to identify Rabbeim, and particularly Madrega, Rebbe's Rebbe is beyond our scope. But yet, the Friedrich Rebbe, in the name of his father, in the name of the Rabbeim before, said that the Vashemtev and the Magid is Keser, Atik and Arich. And that was connected to spheres. The Alter Rebbe Chochme, the Mitla Rebbe Bina, Semach Tzadik Das. When the Rebbe Marash said that, the Tate is Das. And of course, and the, the, he didn't talk about himself, but as we go further, for some reason we skip Chesed, Gvurit, Teferis. The, the Rebbe Marash would be Netzach. The Rebbe Rashab Hoid, the Friedrich Rebbe, the six spheres Yisod, the six of the emotions, and De Rashvi Malchus. So a question, the obvious question, what's the connection of the Rebbe to Malchus? First of all, every Rebbe, and Ma Malchus Rabbon, every Rav, really. A Rebbe especially is a Melech, it's true, but so is Alter Rebbe, and so are all the Rabbeim. And yet, among the Rabbeim itself, the Rebbe Shvi is called Shvi and Chavivin is Malchus. So, we have hints to it from the Rebbe Sichas and different things that Rebbe noted, but generally speaking, when you look at Malchus and you study what it is in Chassidus, you realize that it very much reflects, as much as we as humans, again, can calculate the Rebbe's approach to his Nesias, even though as all the Rabbeim are one, as we know there's no Ishtalshlus in the Moir, that's why it says Shalshelus Ha'ir, only the Ir, but in the way each Rebbe, the Tzinner, so to speak, the Shar, the Gate, the Approach, each Rebbe, according to each generation. What do we find in Malchus? We find a paradox. And this brings the second question that was asked. How do we reconcile the paradox of Malchus, that it has no power of its own, and that it's all-powerful? In, in last week's episode, Malchus seems to have opposite power, someone wrote. 26 minutes in the episode 206, you talk how Malchus doesn't have any, anything of its own, and in the Chassidus question, you talk how powerful Malchus is. So how do you reconcile this Paradox. I want to, of course, note that I've discussed this once at length in the Chassidus question in episode 164. Again, this can all be accessed in our archives of my life, Chassidus Applied, MeaningfulLife.com slash my life. So it's a paradox. On one hand, Malchus, Ein's less law, Megar Moklum is the expression in Zayar. It has nothing of its own. Malchus has nothing of its own. Like compared to the moon, the Levona. It has nothing of its own, has no the moon does not have light of its own. Take away the sun and the moon would be dark. It's essentially reflecting the sun to the earth. It's not a pure reflection like a mirror, but it's a reflection. So on its own it has nothing. And then Chassidus says, and bring from Kabbalah, that the root of Malchus, Sharshay, is higher than even Chochmah, all the way in Keser. The Sherish of Malchus goes all the way into the Etzim of Keser, Primisa Keser. Malchus of Atzilus, this explains, will become the Keser, the crown of the next world. So is Malchus the lowest of spheres or is the highest of spheres? Is it something that has nothing of its own or does it have even the greater than all the higher levels? So the answer, of course, is, and many by modern, that the Rebbe emphasized this a lot, speaking about the power of the feminine that before Mashiach comes, we live in a world where, um, where the, the masculine energy has in some ways more power than the feminine energy. At least in its expressive. We live in a world where expression matters. But in a world where etzem matters, 
where things that are the, the deeper powers matter when we're coming into the gula, it will be the exact opposite. The feminine energy will be more powerful than the masculine. This doesn't mean the feminine energy is not more powerful now. But now we live in a world where the feminine energy is not respected and appreciated the way it should be. And that's why it has to go through being a makabal from the mashpia. The moon is very vulnerable to the, to, and that's why there's the Pagama Lavana, very vulnerable because we live in a world where, in a world of aggression, in a world where the energy is so powerful that comes, the, the expressive energy, the masculine expressive energy, so you need to have that type of so called protection. But in a world of Etzem, when Mashiach will come and the world will go back to the way it was meant to be and even greater, then the power of the moon will suddenly supersede even the power of the sun. So Malchus, then we will reveal in Malchus, in the Makabu will reveal the power that it is in its root. When you see the Rebbe, the Rebbe, all the Rabbeim, and Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, was Malchus as well, the Rebbe and the Rabbeim were all epitomized Bittl, Tachlis HaBittl. But Bittl does not mean annihilation, God forbid. Bittl does not mean disappearance. Bittl means that you have nothing of your own. But it doesn't mean you have nothing. On your own, you have feel nothing. But because of that, you channel the greatest levels. Chachma, because it has its light of its own, and Bina has its own energy, so it's very powerful, and it's holy energy, but it's only as powerful as that energy has. But to be able to have an energy that goes all the way to the point that it can reach even higher levels than the level itself, needs something that on its own, it's completely transparent. It's completely selfless. And therefore, it can channel the highest, highest levels. This epitomized the Rebbe's Nesias, epitomized his approach. If you look at everything the Rebbe did, this type of complete selflessness and utter, utter self, uh, self, uh, the word for it's a self that did not matter. But with that, the Rebbe brought more power than even the highest levels of power. I once heard from Chassidim, Chassidim said, there's a word from the Friedrich Rebbe, he said that the, the Zayda, the Rebbe Marash, or Gehesen, he would command. The the Tate Rebbe Rashab had given. He would request. On Ich, the Friedrich Rebbe says, "Amatzia, I suggest." So the Chassidus Fabregen, I heard once a Mashpia say, and the Rebbe doesn't even suggest. What he does is he calls you in as if he's asking your advice. To consulting, and he said, "This consulting has more power than the Tzivui, the command with the Rebbe Marash had given." That was the Rebbe's approach. On one hand, the Rebbe did not command. He said many times, I never force anyone to do anything. There's tetlach and so on. On the other hand, the Rebbe suggested. And more than suggested, he would even consult. And would say, if you mobilize yourself, like he said in the first Rebbe, Yud Aleph, Yud Aleph, the Rebbe said, I don't decline from helping, but I'm not going to do the work for you. It was all about empowerment, that we have to do our effort. So it was in a sense, you could say, not, not holding you by the hand and not forcing you, but in the Rebbe's so-called restraint, in his Malchuzdika approach, he gave the most power that now, now lives on. Even though Begashmi, the Rebbe is not here, it lives on with more power in many ways and growth because the Rebbe empowered. That's the power of Malchus. All have their roles, but their role is essentially hashpah, to transmit. And therefore they transmit what they're capable of transmitting. To be able to reflect everything. Chassidus explains that Malchus Knesset Yisrael is like a mirror that reflects all the levels. You need to have that almost that restraint that Levona has. But then, through that you transmit even more power than the sun itself, Zah, and the Hashpah that come from the higher levels and spheres.
And that's the reconciliation. Following up some more talk about Yudal of Nisan, what does the Rebbe want and expect of us? Is Shlichus the only option? Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thank you for addressing the topic of Shlichus, which I did the last few weeks. I understand what the person who wrote in was saying about being a second-class citizen if you don't go on shlichus. For example, in my Chabad seminary, they kept saying that everyone should go on shlichus. My question about this is that, practically speaking, it can be very hard to get a shlichus nowadays. There are many people who sit in Crown Heights for years, not really starting life or being able to support their family because they're waiting for a shlichus that may or may not come. I understand that the Rebbe did, not, did, did put a huge emphasis on shlichus, but what about having a shlichus ment- mentality wherever you are, be in Crown Heights or some other place in the world? Wherever you are, can, you can use your talents. You use the talents Hashem gave you to have a positive effect on your surroundings and bring people closer to Yiddishkeit. Also, at this point, we have to accept that many people live in communities and are not on shlichus and are not on shlichus for whatever reason. What about chinuch for all of the children in these communities? If the focus is solely outward, what happens to our own children? Some of the talent and energy has to also be directed to providing quality education, and shouldn't that be considered its own kind of shlichus? Thank you for taking the time to read this lengthy message. Very good points. I've talked about this a number of times. The Rebbe, of course, bavarned everything. The Rebbe, of course, who initiated all of this, anticipated all the different given situations. We are here not to come with our own logic and determine what works, what is the shlichus, what is not the shlichus. The Rebbe said what a shlichus means, and he said it in the broadest sense and in a more specific sense. Overall, shlichus, yes, is correct. It's definitely in quality. It's not the physical location per se. It's the idea that your life is not dedicated to just making money and taking care of yourself and your family, which is beautiful, but it's not the shlichus. Shlichus is your life is dedicated to be a soldier in the Rebbe's army, 24-7 on call, and helping Yidin and Yiddishkeit and spreading Teir and Mitzvahs and, and Chsidus, Yifutzah, Menesach, and Chutzah. In the most practical sense, the Rebbe made it clear that the way to do this is to find a location, not to sit in Crown Heights or in, low, in some place where people are more comfortable, to go up to a place, and that way you're definitely doing the job. Can a person hypothetically in Crown Heights have that type of Mesida and Nesina? They could. But first of all, it's much more difficult. Secondly, it's not what the Rebbe first said. And he didn't change that. There was a person who wanted to go on shlichus, and the Rebbe told him his job is to be a meshpin yeshiva here in New York, Crown Heights. So he said to the Rebbe, will it be considered shlichus? So the Rebbe said, if you do it, which means with total dedication and commitment. So of course, that's the concept. If you're doing something in that way, that's what a shlich is defined. A shlich means a meshlich of the meshalech. But it's more difficult to do when you, are not, when you don't have a job that is completely dedicated to that work. If you have a day job, and even a beautiful job, and you're giving a lot of tzedakah, all beautiful, that's your primary preoccupation. The preoccupation is not representing the Rebbe in spreading Teda and Yiddishkeit. Can you do it at work too? Of course you can do it. And there are many people who do wonderful things. But the shlichas as the Rebbe defined it is a all-consuming. That is your work. And that's your parnosa, and you raise money for that work, for building yeshivas, for building schools, for building a Chabad house, and all the activities that come with that. As I said, can a person find ways to do it? Yes. But if you look in all the sikhs, and I invite you to look up yourself, do not rely on me, hundreds and hundreds of sikhs, it's very quite clear that what the Rebbe's intention is. Now, as I said, that's option one. 
If for whatever reason, or whatever reason, I'm not going to go now and judging anyone because it's not my job and no one's job. A person did not work out. That doesn't mean that you are a second-class citizen or lost, God forbid. Do your best with what you have. The Rebbe wrote a letter to the Shluchim he sent to Yisrael, what the first option is, the second option, the third option, the last option. So obviously a good, being a good God-fearing Jew and doing your work and giving zdok and bringing up your children in good schools and giving them the chinuch that they, they deserve and should get, beautiful. No one's taking away from that. But we're talking about the Rebbe, the birth, the, the, who's Yudal Fnissen, whose birthday is Yudal Fnissen, what he gave us and charged the mission of this generation. Including, as he said right in the beginning, the mission to bring the Geula down, the seventh generation, like Meshul Abenu, to bring the Mishkan on earth. And that is a full dedication thing. I'm not going to judge or question anybody or challenge anyone's, they want to do whatever they want to do. But if you want to know what the Rebbe says, look it up on your own. I know people seem somewhat offended, but you have to remember you may be a Negei Dover. Why? Because, you know, no one wants to hear that they're not fulfilling completely what the Rebbe, the way the Rebbe wanted. They want to do it the way they understand. I'm not here to tell you what to do. But I'm here to convey in an authentic way, without compromising the integrity of the message, what the Rebbe told us. Basically, Ralph Nissen is the day when the Rebbe came down to this earth. Hashem sent a shliach of his own to this world to tell us what our shlichus is. And he told us what our shlichus is. Not just bechol and kol Not just to be from me'idin and mekayim teirin mitzvahs. First of all, the Shulchan Aruch says that, and that's something that goes without saying. The Rebbe came and told us something more, that in this generation particularly, due to the fires that are burning out there, due to the need, and due to preparing the world for the Gaul, not just your little community, this is the shlichus of our generations to be a shame but plus to do it in a way that's a full shliach representing the Rebbe Achsidis and Teres Achsidis and all the Rabbeim in whatever location you end up being. You can pull it off in Crown Heights. It's rare to see someone really pull it off because they're doing other things. Again, beautiful things. So I'm not sure how many times I have to repeat this. If you don't accept it, just look at the Sikha Shmini Tov Shechai, other Sikhs. Some people say to me, maybe things have changed. First of all, I am not to have a responsibility to tell you that things have changed. I don't think anybody can say something has changed. The Rebbe is the only one that can say what he said, that now there's a different approach. There are challenges in how to do shlichus today? So maybe. We talked about this. There's a big internet. There's many, many opportunities. Unfortunately, there are 14 plus million Ken Yirbu Jews, and they have not yet been reached by Chabad houses. Many, most have not been. So to say that it's all, the work has all been done, please. There's 7 billion people on this earth that have not been reached. If you're really committed to do what the Rebbe wants, find ways to reach them. And there's no question, if you're doing that, then you can make shlichus, but it has to be your full preoccupation. A soldier isn't a soldier for an hour a day. Again, this doesn't mean that you can be a very nice Jew and do what you have to do, but to call that the shlichus of the Rebbe, the unique shlichus of this generation, I cannot say that's the case. And it's not a critique, it's just a matter of a mitzis. And Adarab, look it up yourselves and do as you see fit. We're not here to command anyone to do, I'm just here to communicate that which comes from the Sikhs and my modem that are very clear for anyone to look it up. Okay. Since we're talking on this topic, there's one more question that was asked about the Rebbe, which is not so connected to Alf but someone asked, what is the history of the Rebbe's view on? Bochrim getting smicha. 
This we're talking about rabbinic ordination. So I put some right Hi, I re- Rabbi Jacobson, I recently started watching your weekly videos and love them. I was wondering if you can please speak about Bochum learning smicha, the history of the Rebbe wanting us to get smicha, and how to motivate myself in doing it. I'm not uh, do it if I'm not really enjoying it. Does the Rebbe want me to do it even if I'm not enjoying it? Should I do it nonetheless? Thanks. So there is a history, and it began that in the early years of the Rebbe's Nesias, the Derechlal, going back before Temchet Mimim, smicha was not something everyone got smicha, meaning smicha for Rabbonus. Some did, some didn't. It was uh, optional, and some people went into Rabbonus, became Rabbonim. Of course, for the Rabbonus, you need smicha, yodin, yodin, and yere, uh, yere, yodin, yodin, to be a dayan, etc. The Rebbe's years, the Rebbe writes in Tovshin Yud Beis, in the Sikh of Chavdala Tevis, giving you some history, and also Yud Gimel Tamas that year. We're talking now Tovshin Yud Beis, 1952. The Rebbe began to encourage uh, young Light and Bochrim to get the ideas in Shas and Poskim to be able to receive smicha lehira, which means smicha ordination, to be able to give uh, rabbinic directives. Um, and he spoke about the, the Friedrich Rebbe, who received smicha before his wedding, the Rebbe Rashab told him to receive smicha. And the fact that he publicized it means it's a lesson to us. But then it still was not something that the Rebbe told everybody to do. The Rebbe encouraged it. Um, there are letters, I'll just quote a few letters where the Rebbe speaks about it in those early years as well. Lukut Sichis, volume 23, page 443, a letter from the 19th of Tishrei, Tovshin Yud Zayin. That's uh, 1955. Um, volume 24, Lukut Sichis, page 348, a letter to the Crown Heights Kalil, where the Rebbe speaks about it as well. In the later years, the Rebbe would give some people direct, or during those years, I should say, the Rebbe gave some people directives to get smicha and some not. In Tovshin Lamed Vov, the Rebbe began to encourage it again with even stronger emphasis, especially in the Sikh of Yud Shvat Tovshin Lamed Zayin, which is printed in the Kutis Sikhs, volume 16, page 144. And Shnas, in the year Tovshin Lamed Tes, it was 1979, when the Rebbe sent the Shluchim to Eretz Akedish, the third group of Shluchim to Israel. He told them that they should make an effort to receive smicha and to actually accept and, 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 and submit and get themselves rabbinic positions. That's why you have in Israel today a number of rabbonim that came out of shluchim and there are rabbonim now in cities, prominent rabbis. And this is Lukut Sikhs, volume 24, page 391. So basically, um, going on from then, at a little later than that, I believe, I'm just like to think, look at my notes here. I believe at, in those years, the Rebbe began to then say clearly that everybody, every bocher should try to get smicha because of the challenges involved. And a, I'm just, um, just give me a moment. Yeah. Yeah. That from then on, the Rebbe began to encourage, which is why many, many bochim today, most bochim, try to get smicha, even though sometimes they won't end up being a rav, but because the need today as the Rebbe explained, the need. People need direction, and they need people who know Teda and know how to paskin. So the Rebbe made it clear that he wants as many people as possible to get smicha. So today it's really the exception. Most bochum do it. Um, uh, and there's exception. Those that don't, for whatever reason, they're not capable or whatever it is. But today it's, it's considered to be a given that based on Prem Tav Shilamad Vav Lamad Zayin, that everyone should get smicha. And that became the, the common accepted thing. I would add to that that... Um, that shluchim 
who of course on, on the front lines, having smich is a tremendous asset because it gives them the ability to deal with halachic issues. Now obviously there are experts in given t- subjects where there you refer to and consult with an expert in a particular subject. So I hope I answered the question. And as far as not enjoying it, look, sometimes we do things we don't enjoy because, but nevertheless it is a very good tool to have and it's the directive of the Rebbe. So I would say to you, absolutely make an effort to do it if you don't enjoy it, you know, do it, do it, do it, get the smicha, and then you move on. But I definitely encourage it because the Rebbe encourages. So uh, how am I and who are we to disagree with that? And it's not dependent on whether we enjoy it or not. It depends on what needs to be done. With that said, let us move over now to Pesach. Oh, before Pesach, Yud Gimel, let's talk about Yud Gimel, um, Yud Gimel Nissen. Yud Gimel Nissen, as I said, is the the Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek's yard site. In Tofresh Chavov, right before Pesach, the Tzemach Tzedek's yard site. The Tzemach Tzedek's yard site is also the yard site, as I mentioned, of the Beis Yosef. The Tzemach Tzedek is called the Das of Chassidus. If the Rebbe is Malchus, the Tzemach Tzedek is Das. Das, Mavtech the Kol Shis. Some say the children he had were six children at the end. And Mavtech the Kol Shis, the key to six. Because you see in the Tzemach Tzedek's as the Rebbe emphasizes, he gathered together Nigla and Pnimi Satera and all the sources. He grounded the, the, the themes and the teachings of the Alter Rebbe in Svarim and a form of Das, which broadens it into a connected and a cohesive um, doctrine, so to speak. The Rebbe, he was marchiv and expanded on the ideas of the Alter Rebbe. Das takes it and brings it to a hakora, a clarity, and hargosha, a sense, a type of resonance, a type of connection, which the Tzimach Tzedek achieved through his chassidus. His chassidus, of course, is very vast. We know Derech Mitzasecha and some of the main svarim, but the Eir Ateira, of course, is a magnum opus of the Tzimach Tzedek, all the different drushim that Tzimach Tzedek wrote. Today we have Sefer Lekutim of the Tzimach Tzedek that the Rebbe instructed to be made 41 years ago, Tov Shalom Zayin, it's a 25-volume it's a set that covers the whole from Aleph Beis, all in Yasugis, all the days, everything, the Tzemach Tzedek from Aleph to Tov. And as I said, the Tzemach Tzedek doesn't just bring a topic from Chassidus or Primi Satayr, it will also ground it in Medrash and, and in, in the Psukim and Tere Shebik Sav and Tere Shebal Peh and Tanakh and all the Gemaris and Medrashim and Marich Hazal and Tere Shebal Peh and Svarim on those topics. So it's a tremendous asset, if you look and say for the Kutim, to really find if any subject you want to talk about or you want to research or you want to share with someone, you can look it up and you'll find tremendous, uh, uh, tremendous uh, resources there. So that's, the Rebbe, as I said, is the one that um, instructed that be published. I was, uh, I was a Mareches, I was part of the editors in, in, in creating that over those years. And as I said, it's a great way to connect to Samach Tzedek's breadth and scope which is uh, just amazing, as he develops and takes the Alter Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe's Chassidus, and brings it to us in a way that is on that type of platter, of course, preparing the ground for the next generations, all the way to the Rebbe, in the, the, we have now the full seven generations of picture of Chassidus. Tzemach Tzedek has many, there are many, many stories, I'll just share one story with the Tzemach Tzedek, being that you give listen, Tzemach Tzedek, as you know, um, before, a few years before, the Tzemach Tzedek says, Talkus, the Rebbe Tzachai Mushke. The Tzemach Tzedek's Rebbe was also named Chai Mushke. And so she passed away in Tofresh Chof Aleph, five years before. 
Tzimach Tzedek went into a type of, I don't know what the white word to use, but he didn't say Ma'amorim, there was no Yechidahs, there were no answers. Tzimach Tzedek used very strong words then, Ein Melech Balei Matranisa. A king is not a king without a queen. And the Chassidim, of course, were very saddened by it. But then finally news came that Tzimach Tzedek is going to say Amayim Chassidus. When the news came, of course, the Chassidim were overjoyed. They all gathered in Lubavitch, and that's what, to hear the Amayim. Rabbi Hill Paracher, who was already an older Chosser at that time, and by him a Maimer of the Rebbe, there was nothing higher, came from Paracher to, to also hear the Maimer. They were waiting in the Tzamech Tzedek, the room, a half hour, an hour, whatever the amount of time, Tzamech Tzedek didn't come out yet. Rabbi Hill was not feeling well, so well, he was an older man, as I said, so he had to walk all out. So he was walking out, he hears, as he's walking out, he hears two younger light say something that Rabhil found felt was a um, was inappropriate. They said something about the Tzamaqsadik that is killed like the Tzamaqsadik is removed. I'm not gonna say the other words they may have used depressed or other things like that. Anyway, it it shook him up to the point that he suddenly had a revival of energy and he came over to the two younger light and said to them the way I heard the story, he said to them, Schwenzelach, Schwenzelach, Schwenzelach. You can translate that any way you like. It basically means idiots, idiots, idiots. Or there's, uh, you can use sharper words if you like. He says, Vos mentir. What do you think? As a Rebbe is egen anoz mitamoyl. A Rebbe is eyes and nose and a mouth. A Rebbe is alakus. A Rebbe is godliness. And when there's a helem, a sedaya helem, a falakus, sedaya helem, a And when there's a concealment on the divine, on the, on the godliness, there's a concealment of the, on the Rebbe. Just hear those words. How are you supposed to think of a Rebbe? We have to take it to heart in our time as well. When there's a concealment in all Seder Ishtalshlis, and even a Shkinta Begalusa, there's a Helam, the Helam is going to be reflected on the Rebbe, whether we like it or not, because the Rebbe is a Shtikal of Elokus. So I thought it's an appropriate message that fits especially today after Gimel Tammuz, coming from the Tzemach, in the times of the Tzemach Tzedek, and appropriate as well to our times as well, to remember as our Rebbe gate came Lishtavek, as uh, Radatz, Peretz Chain told his son Radatz after the stalkers of the Mereb Marash, and he fainted, and that's him chesteir shminiat seres night, and no one could revive him because someone had told him the Rebbe is avek, the Marash, Yud Gimel Tishrei, right before Sukkot. So the news came to Chernovitz where he was the Rav, Rab. So he fainted when he heard the news. They couldn't revive him, so they called his father, the Peretz, who was already an older man. Shul, and he said to his son, he whispered to him in his ear, Arebbe gate came l'shtavek. Arebbe never leaves. L'yazif tzayn marisei. A shepherd never forsakes his flock. So as we go to Yud Alf Nisan, and we're going to Yud Gimel Nisan, going into Pesach, and we are saying the Nisim, which reminds us of the Nasi of each generation, the Nasi of our generation, to remember that Arebbe never leaves. We may not always see it. We have to know the power is there, and as Yudal of Nissen, the Rebbe looks at his children, looks at his soldiers, looks at his um, uh, shluchim, his emissaries, and gives all the keiches necessary to perform and fulfill the mission. And the ultimate mission, to do the final steps that we need to do to finally bring the Geula, Amitiz, Vashlema. Kemet seis chemeretz mitzrayim aren neflois, just like by Pesach we were redeemed, so too, chedesh Nissen, benissen nigalu, benissen nasin goil. In Nisan we were redeemed, and in Nisan we will be redeemed in this month of redemption. With that, let's talk about a few que- uh, about Pesach. So on Pesach, I discussed Pesach in episodes 12, 13, 62, 157, and 158. 
One brief Nakuda, we'll talk about Pesach in the context of what I was just saying. Pesach means Pesach. Pesach means to jump over, leap over, Passover, which refers to the Dilug Vikfitsa, the leap that we have to take to go out of all Mitzarim Vikvulim, Itzias Mitzrayim, out of all limitations. In other words, there's an Aveda to meet in Kisidra, an Aveda that we do in a regular, the regular patterns, the regular order of our lives. But then there are times, and Pesach is the Rosh Hashanah of that time. As it says from Chassidus, brings from Akedis Yitzchak, the Sefer Akedis Yitzchak, Yitzchak Aramo, in Samarvov and other places, in Akedis Samarvov, that there's two Hanhogas, and there's two Rosh Hashanah, there's Hanhogas, there's a behavior according to nature. The Rosh Hashanah for that, the Rosh Hanah of Hanhogas TV's natural order is Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah of Tishrei. And the Rosh Hashanah of Hanhogas Nisis, the supernatural, the supranatural order, when is the Rosh Hashanah of that? That's in Nisan. Nisan, Nisim, the month of Nisan. HaChedosh, Chidosh, which is what bring, Pesach brings. That's why when it comes to the beginning of the Ten Commandments, Asaros Adibris, it doesn't say, Chedosh is the biggest thing. God created the heaven and earth. What's greater than that? It says, no. So the question is asked, that's Yeshma'ayin, the whole creation. Sis Mitzrayim is already, there's an existence and God took us out of Egypt. If he can create, he definitely can take us out of Golas. But the Chiddush is no, because the creation of the world is the creation of nature. And nature has its rules and guidelines and we're bound by them. What Yitzhiz Mitzrayim taught is that we can go out of the laws of nature. That's why in the, in the Ten Commandments, as Sarah we talk about a Shitzichoy, took you out of Mitzrayim, which means out of all limitations, including the confines and the constraints of nature itself, the confines and constraints and the parameters of existence itself. That's the power we have. The Rebbe speaks about Yud Aleph Nisan often. That Yud, the Yud sphere is, is the structure, ten spheres. Yud Aleph, Keser, is the sphere of transcendence, meaning beyond. It's not just a ten plus one, eleven. We have no other way to express it, so we say eleven. But it refers to going outside of the structure and going beyond. Yud is the structure, also a structure aligned with the divine. But there's going beyond and transcending the structure. That's Yud Aleph. So with that, um, I think a tremendous lesson for each one of us, the Kayach we get from Pesach, and all the details of Pesach which go are, are, are elaborate. don't have the time to go into it here. I spoke about it, as I said, in previous episodes. But I will touch upon two questions that were asked to me. One, importance of four cups of wine. Did the Rebbe give any heiros directives regarding pregnant women drinking wine versus grape juice for the four cups by the Seder? Thank you. So generally speaking, I don't really deal with halacha and the legal, legal halacha matters, or even minhagim. But since this is a little asking about the Rebbe, I, don't, I have not seen from the Rebbe any directives. I asked around, people have told me they haven't seen it either. But there's a basic halacha when it comes to this, that most days no issue at all for a pregnant woman to drink grape juice. Um, even for anybody that may have a difficulty with drinking wine. So I don't see any issue at all with it. Um, even whether we have or don't have a director from the Rebbe. If somebody has something from the Rebbe directly, that you heard either Balpe or in writing or in any other way, please share it with us at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife, and I'll be happy to share it with the public. Second question, Pesach songs. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I know that the Alta Rebbe makes it clear that we do not sing Chesal Sidr Pesach, which means that we're now concluded the Sidr, the Seder of Pesach, since the Aved of the Seder does not end continues on, and in fact continues through the Eimer, Shavuos, and the entire year. But what about the other piyutim? The other uh, so-called prayers? 
and um, uh, sung by the Velt, such as Vayhi by Chatsi Alayla, my non-Chabad friends and relatives often are surprised when I tell them that we do not sing those songs, called hymns, as they are very central to Pesach and the Seder in their eyes. Could you please shed some light as to why they are not included in the Chabad Agodah? I'm sure the Rebbe Rabbeim speak about it somewhere. Thank you very, thanks very much. And a kosher of Shreilach and Pesach. Again, I have not seen directly, and this again could be my own just lack of... Um, not being aware. So again, if anybody has a source where the Rebbe does speak about it, please share it. And that's why I'm talking about it. I'm happy to say that I haven't seen it yet. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And please share. And I will be happy to, uh, again, share it with everyone. What I will say, however, is that it's consistent with a lot of things that the Alter Rebbe did. You look in the Siddur Magzer of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Alter Rebbe, compared to many other Kehillah's communities, cut out a lot of the piyutim. Those are the extra hymns that were written by in the Middle Ages, and we have piyutim, but they're the minimum in Chabad, relative to others. We also find, for example, noy sukkah. Sukkah that many Jews, what they do is they adorn the sukkah with the kinds of decorations and beautify. Mitzvah. So there is a letter about the Rebbe about that. And in Chabad, the meaning is not to do that because we do the mitzvah, mitzvah poshet. Meaning to do it, pshitus itself, to do it in a very um, uh, shapeless and 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 uh, without um, ad- ad- adornments and uh, extensions, the pasha uh, you go and pshitus of something touches pshitus atzmos. The simple, the simplest is sometimes the best. We call the pasha myletve. The simplest touches the deepest levels of God that are beyond structure. Like Chassidus says, there's giluyim. Giluyim means when there's fireworks, where there's expression and there's noise, even kedusha and then there are things that are done more in silence, that are much more atzmizdik. Atzmizdik is more coarse. You don't feel like Yom Kippur is in silence. Shvuas, Matan was a lot of fanfare. So the sukkah, you can say perhaps the same thing with Agoda, that Chabad, obviously, it says in Kisra Rizal, the Rebbe would always talk about it by the Seder, by the Rebbe made the public, the Seder he would make upstairs in the second floor, that the Agoda should be sang with Anigim Bekel Rom. He would always... Uh, so what the, somewhat with a smile talk about the person leading that God that he said a little fashlof you have to sing it with a loud voice and with simcha and the Haggadah said with nigun and so on but that's the core Haggadah afterwards is a very extra which again is not knocking God forbid anyone that does it it's beautiful but in Chabad you focus on the core and with, a, with more focus on inwardly inward, inward um, experience of of uh, the God of Pesach, more than the rather the more expressive that may come from extra things. Again, not a not a pashta. Every river river uh, branches out in different ways. This doesn't in any way minimize. God forbid minhogim of other Eden. We're talking about why Chabad. Chabad generally the focus is in that sense in all these different examples I just gave. Let's now go to some follow up, and uh, yes. Uh, no, we're all anticipating to the announcements of the winners, which will be coming very shortly. So we'll do a few follow-up, and then we will go to the Chassidus question, and then to the contest winners. Here we are. So follow-up to negative traits in episode 204. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. Thanks so much for the weekly broadcasts. Just wanted to correct, if I may say, if I may, something you said. You were saying that holy hatred and anger is not really hatred and anger and would never be aggressive, etc. 
I would submit that that, that that is very politically correct, but not true. For example, Shmuel Anovi himself killed Agog. That is aggressive. Also, of course, holy hatred is intolerant. The more love a tzaddik has for Hashem, the less tolerance and more hatred they have for evil. Like he says in Perikud, I'm adding in Tanya. If someone embodies evil completely like Agag, Haman, or Hitler, they would not be disturbed. They would not be disturbed but loving. Not sure what this means. I think it means, but hating, I assume, they want the person want the right. They would completely not tolerate it as, as they would completely not tolerate it as, as is what happened by Agog and Shmuel. And Shaul, who was otherwise a tzaddik, lost his kingship because he had tolerance for the opposite of Hashem's command and didn't kill all the Amalekite animals right away. When I taught fifth grade, Chumash, one of my students came up with this exact question on anger, and it was compounded by the fact that we had just learned in Kitzur Shulchanara that most midas we need to take... We need to take the middle path, but we need to avoid anger completely. Then we learned in Chumash that Hashem gets angry. So my fifth grader asked, why does it say angry if we shouldn't get angry? It could have just said Hashem was disappointed. So I asked the rabbi, the dean of Beisifka, who answered as follows. Anger sends a strong message that such behavior is unacceptable and cannot continue this way Disappointment or sadness does not have the same effect and will not, in fact, embolden chutzpah. So with ourselves, we need to avoid anger to the utmost degree because we can lose control and do much damage with this very strong emotion. But in chinuch, parents and teachers also need to react to unacceptable behavior with a show of anger, although not lose themselves and not be angry within. So the kids see that bad behavior is not okay or acceptable. Well, this doesn't contradict what I spoke about because the bottom line is, I was speaking about obviously uncontrollable anger. And as uncontrollable anger means it's a complete emotion that you're out of control. If it's deliberate and you're showing, then I don't know if you would call the word anger. We're showing displeasure and we're showing this is not acceptable. That's obviously appropriate. But not an emotional outburst or a tantrum. Even the anger that Sadiqim have and even the anger God has is because it's an intolerance of anything opposite. Not because they're angry with venom and with, um, and with uh, what's the word I want to use, with, with wrath against someone that's evil. It's because evil goes against God and the love for God does not tolerate in any way anything that's opposite of the divine. So that's exactly what it's about. So not, I don't see any contradiction here. And remember again, when we talk about these things, they're not anthropomorphic when it comes to God. Okay, let's go to another follow-up here, and that is prayer, minion that davens fast, in episode 199. I'm catching up on some episodes. I'm only up to 199 now, but I wanted to add something regarding a fast minion. As you mentioned, it might still be better to daven a different shul that davens slower, but there, there are a couple letters from the Rebbe that address davening, with a fast minion. The Rebbe recommends starting with a minion and then davening at your own pace, even if you're the 10th person. 
And the fellow here sends us to several Igris Kedish. I'll read them quickly. Igris Kedish, volume 18, letter 6583. We have um, as well Igris Kedish, volume 10, letter 3055. The Rebbe is adamantly against skipping in order to catch up, even in cases where there is the halacha. That's in Igris Kedish, Lekutisichis, Igris Kedish, rather, volume 1, letter 127. Igris Kedish, volume 7, letter 1998. Okay, thank you. Another person writes on this subject, Dear Rabbi Jacobson, on a recent episode you referred to someone who prefers davening at a non-Chabad shul, where it is quieter over a Chabad shul where disruptions to the davening exist. This got me thinking about the state of davening in shuls today, in general, and Chabad shuls in particular. I do not wish to generalize, as there is no Jew in the world today who does not struggle with davening, but I have definitely seen some common trends at Chabad shuls in this regard. I'm, I'm referring here to Anash Minyanim as opposed to Chabad houses outreach. Thinking about the subject brought me back to my yeshiva days. I studied at one of the mainstream Chabad yeshivas in Israel approximately 10 years ago. I remember that a number of the Bacham took davening on Shabbos seriously, learning chassidus for a few hours before the minyan began at 10.30, and continuing to daven Baveda well into the afternoon. I looked up and admired those Bacham for their sincerity, which I believe to be genuine. There were members of the Anhola who would also daven for hours in the afternoon, into the afternoon, and I viewed them as role models though I kind of wondered how their families dealt with their absence on Shabbos, but that's a discussion for another time. I myself tried to daven slower and internalize the maimorim I had learned, but I would never place myself on the same level as those bachrim. For the vast majority of the yeshiva student body, however, davening began at 10.30, concluded around 12.30. Interestingly, there was no drosha. And that was it. There didn't seem to be a concerted effort on behalf of the majority to daven slowly as a minion. It seemed like it was all or nothing. You were, neither one, you were either one of the masmidim evdim and davened all day long, or you just davened quickly with the minion and enjoyed the long Shabbos afternoon. It seems, in my mind at least, that this system bred a mentality that davening with a minion is second fiddle to real davening, which is something done solo and requires a lot of patience and self-control. I would like to suggest that perhaps many people feel that real davening is beyond their reach. Yeah, I could be completely wrong here, but maybe this explains why in some shuls I've seen a lack of respect for the structure of a minion and davening together. Problems such as excessive talking during davening, even by Rabbanim and Mashpiyim, not davening in unison, resulting in scrambling to find six men for Yishtabach and ten men for Chazar Shashats, even though there are scores of people in the room. Reciting the davening in a rushed manner, particularly Kaddish, particularly Kaddish not answering Amen, or doing so in a dull manner. Using phones during davening and arriving at Shul very late on Shabbos morning when davening already begins at 10 a.m., etc., etc., I could be completely off here, but maybe we all feel as though davening with the minion is second rate to begin with, so why bother trying? But at the same time, maybe a person doesn't want to be one of the losers who resort to davening with the minion, so he'll fabreng with his friend in the corner. After all, fabrenging is a chesedishal thing to do, and he personally hasn't passed Baruch Shomar yet, even though the chazan is already up to Shema, and he could be thinking, what does the chazan's davening have to do with me? Clearly, the whole point of Tfilibet Sivir has been missed. Once again, I could be completely off here, and if I sound offensive, I apologize. I just think that we need to restore honor and prominence to davening together with Aminah slowly and happily with Agilis and pride. I believe part of the process is to reassure Bachrim Yeshiva, who will then take these lessons into their adulthood, that davening with Aminah is a respectful, moderate pace is something to strive towards and be proud of. Please note, I'm not trying to paint Chabad shuls negatively. I'm just pointing out some things I have noticed in shuls around the world, but the truth is all you everywhere need to to work on their diving, and I will be the first to start. Okay, I read the entirety. Yes, it could be offensive to some, but listen, this is a platform. There are points you make. I don't like to speak negatively, and I don't think that's our goal here. You have to be constructive. 
davening can definitely, all of us, is a lost art for many. And it's something we have to learn how to do both with a minyan properly and davening about Veda also properly. I'll be speaking about this more in coming weeks and months. But I wanted to read it and get this covered. So my comments are basically, I, I don't believe in the criticizing because I don't think that usually is productive. But I believe we have to focus on what we can each do personally and show each other as examples and encourage our children instead of doing it in a negative way. Finally, there's one more follow-up pranosa before marriage in episodes 201-203. Igris Kedish, someone writes about the importance of, I spoke about the Rebbe in a letter clearly saying that today we should not wait for getting pranosa before marrying. So someone wrote to me that maybe it's interesting to look in the Rebbe's Igris, volume 30, uh, he doesn't say the page number. Hmm. He, he sent it me. Oh, see, he did, yes, I'm sorry. He did send it me as an attachment. In volume 30, in, in Igris Kedish, the letters are 11, Yud Aleph Tov Samach Dalad. That's 11,464. 11, and those on that page, Yud Aleph Tov Reish Yud Gimel, Yud Aleph Tov Nun Vov, are the letters from that volume. So thank you for that. I don't think it's a contradiction to what I, I spoke about, which is something the Rebbe said in a letter and other places. So with that, let us now move to the, the question, to this question. And right after that, we're going to do the announcement of the essay contest winners. So my friends, here's the question. It's a double question, and it goes like this. I've been learning this quite often about a clipper that doesn't mind if someone learns Tera and even Primus Hatera, but holds him back and tries to help stop him from realizing, connecting, as we say in Yiddish, that Heden, what he is learning. So that his approach to Primus Hatera should be as, to a ther- as, like, as it is to a theoretical essay, and not to appreciate the Likus which is, in with, which is within the Tera. I noticed that Chassidus explains this clip, or at least something similar to be the Yavonim, the Greeks, Mitzrayim, the Egyptians, and also Amalek, can you please explain the differences? Is there, if there are between Klippus Amole, Klippus Mitzrayim, and Klippus Yavon? And if it's explained somewhere in Chassidus, please let us know. Thank you very much and keep up the good work. So, yes, I indeed discussed this in episode 174. So please go there. There I discussed what is the difference between the Klippus of Mitzrayim, Midian, and Amolek. So even though all Klippus have something in common, they conceal and they keep us, try to stay, keep us away from, like a Klippus, like a covering not to see the fruit within, and therefore basically not align ourselves properly with what God wants of us. And this can be through Amalek, it can be through Mitzrayim, through Yavan. Yet there is specific differences. I spoke there about Midian, but you can derive from there, and I, I think I believe I brought sources as well, which distinguishes the differences between these, and I don't want to have to go over it again. But I will say the next question, which will add something to it, which I did not address, and that is, why is Golis Mitzrayim not included in the four Goliath exiles? So we know there's the famous four Goliaths. Talk about the Arba Goliaths that are in Daniel, the Sefer of Daniel, and in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar have, and Daniel interpreted it. And it's usually talk about the Golas Bovel, Samodai, and the Paras Samodai, Yovon, sometimes Yishmol, and Eden. Those are the four Goliaths. And Mitzrayim is not mentioned. So the question is actually asked or answered by the Arizal himself. Lukut Tera of Arizal, he talks about it. And it's cited in Maimorim of Pesach, Tof Reish Samaches, and Tof Shintes. The Maimorim of Kael Deidi. And he brings it there clearly, the source, Sefer Lakutim. I believe Parshik Yiseitse. 
and says, because Mitzrayim is Reish HaGolius, it's the Keser of all exiles. Based on the Medrash, Kol HaGolius Nikrois Al Shem Mitzrayim. Kivin Shemitzirim LiYisrael. Mitzrayim means, besides boundaries, also means Metzir, that they create, they oppress Jews. So all the Golias are called the Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is the root, you could say the mother of all Golas. So that's Keser. The other four is how it branches out, each one is specific, particular function. But then there is the Keser of all the Klippas, and that is the Golas of Mitzrayim, which is the root of it all. In Aveda this means, Mitzrayim was of course the first Golas, where the Eden went to the, the Aveda's part of the Kur HaBazel that prepared them for Matan Teda. Every Golas obviously prepares for Gula, and the last Golas other will prepare for that Gula Amitiz Vashlema. But Golas Mitzrayim plays a unique role because obviously it's the one that's most documented in the Torah, or the one only one documented in the Torah. Golas Mitzrayim, Yitzis Mitzrayim, and as Chassidus explains, Kimet says Kimetz Mitzrayim, Aden Neflois, that everything from Mitzrayim, even after they live, we're still leaving Mitzrayim. That's why Elamasi Ben Yisrael Shiyotzim Mitzrayim. They're always leaving Mitzrayim because Mitzrayim is the emphasis on mitzorim v'gvulim, the etzim inyan of parameters, constraints, limitations, inhibitions, fears, everything that Mitzrayim brings is the root of everything that comes from there. If you wouldn't have the tzimtzum Mitzrayim, you wouldn't have all the other exiles. In Aveda, it's the keset, which means that when we focus, and you don't say, say, zeichlitz is Mitzrayim, we remember Mitzrayim Pesach. You don't have a holiday that remembers the other goliaths necessary. It's true, Hanukkah is connected to Yovon, and the and the Purim is connected to Poras, Madai, but uh, but you don't have a uh, a um, you don't have a um, a particular yomtiv that focuses, for example, Edim. Even though Tishabav, you could say because the Golas Edim, but Golas Bavel and Golas Edim. Also, we don't say We don't remember every day. The, the other Goliaths, because Mitzrayim is the root of it all, the root of getting out of your, your constraints. And that requires a particular Aveda to recognize and connect to our Neshama, that we realize that the God leads us and is able to lead us out of Mitzrayim and therefore out of all Goliaths. Then there's specific manifestations, as I discussed then. The manifestation of Midian, for example, is Machlekes. Amalek is Kriros. Machlekes is divisiveness. Amalek is Kriros, is Kaltkite, apathy, indifference. And uh, Bovel is, Bovel is uh, Bilbul. Edeim has its role. And each of them have their particular, but they're all rooted in Mitzrayim. When you eliminate the root, you cut it off at the head, the pare, who is the Tan Nagodl, the great serpent, then you can all go and deal with other levels as well. In personal terms, it means as we go into Pesach, we're focusing on going out of the Hagbalas. This is like, this is the Chedesh Nisan, as I said before, is the month when we got the Chedesh HaGeula. When the world was created, we got the, or, the, the natural order. Now we have the, the miraculous order. So it's about going beyond our own limits, that as much as we're in our comfort zones, go beyond. Everyone has their Bechol Me'edcha, the beyond that they can go to. And by doing that, we reach the beyond, called Me'ed Amiti, that God gives us a beyond that's beyond our constraints and our limits in every possible way. And everything is possible. With that, my friends, here's the drum roll, the great moment here. We're about to announce the My Life Chassidus Apply 2000 essay, 2018 Essay Contest winners. This is the fourth essay contest, and I'm excited. The, the judges did hard work, much more work than anyone can ever imagine. And I'm going to, we got hundreds of essays, obviously, 
I'm not going to uh, announce all those essays. We'll, we'll go from number 30 and down to the winner, the number one winner. This is the first time it's being announced, so no one is aware of it. I was myself not aware of it until moments ago, who the winners are, because it was all judged blindly. And as and the custom is, I will actually address um, the, 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 these essays, just give a short review or comments, both from the winners, and every week we'll go, go through more essays as we go down the line from number one. So we're going to go backwards from essay number 30, and here we are. Want to get my papers in order here? Okay. So number 30 is essay written by Levi Ginsburg, Shiva's Temchetmim, USA, Finding a Geula Life of Bliss and Joy in a Place Called Golos. 29. Devora Black, also USA, How to Be a Warrior, Not a Warrior. Later, I'll give you all... One second. Yeah. Number 28, Sterner Karp. Again, the USA. The end of procrastination. Number 27, Elka Malamed. Peace and love where the streets are paved with plastic. Number 26, Yasef Polter. How to avoid anger and depression. Number 25, Basi Yahel. The perfectionist Gu'ula. Number 24, David Oladart in Israel, an idea in Chsidis. Rayon Bechsidis. This is not to be confused with the judge. It's a different David Oladart, so for that clarity. Okay, number 23. Arya Yenison Chadad Yeshiva Migdala Emek in Israel, on Das. Next is Shila Yecheskel B'Tzalel, Israel, Chesidus and Technology. Number 21, Hillel Raskin, Shliach in Yeshiva in Argentina, Kochazeh ain't Dover Kazeh. That's how it is, and there's nothing like it. Okay. Number 20, Naomi Zirkind, U.S. Department of Defense, electronics engineer. What if you cannot do a mitzvah? Number 19, Yisrael Cutler, Chabad of Kerry, overcoming technology addiction. Number 18, Yosef Yitzchok, Marnaf, I think, or Marnats, Marnats maybe. Rosh Yeshiva Be'er Sheva, 29 years old, Chsidis Legolis, Legalis mi Chsidis to reveal who I am in truth, who I really am. Number 17, Avram Karp, age 22, Chsidis polarization and the opioid crisis. And the opioid crisis. Okay. Number 16, Dreyer Yahav, Israel, age 36, about aging. About not be thrown into old age. Number 15. We're halfway through. Chani Tzaitlin, Israel, 34 years old. Hamoyser Adam in Abahema. Number 14. Nechama Dina age 
age 45, retroactive healing, it's in our DNA. Number 30, Rui Lugasi, Kiryat Gad Israel, 36 years old, Havdolik Yesod Latikun Anefesh Ubriyosa, meaning separation and structure as necessary for repair of the soul and its health. Number 12, Rachel Schwartz, Beisrivka Seminary, 20 years old, serving God despite challenge. Four steps, how to achieve that. Okay, number 11. Moshe Rosenblatt, Menal Ruchni Er Yehuda, in Israel, 37 years old. Ego, yes or no? Number 10. This is the final 10 and counting down to the number one winner. Number 10 is Avram Goldschmidt, Shiva's Temchit Mimim, 22 years old. Sphiris Achochme, about Chochme, the sphere of Chochme. Number 9. A.D. Cohen, 23 years old. Head or heart? Number eight, Daniel Feld, acupuncturist in Israel, 29 years old. Hack your addiction. Chassidus for the smartphone era. Number seven, Shraga Crombie, the University of Rutgers, New Jersey, 37 years old. Intelligentsia, Rikshis, emotional intelligence, Chassidic emotional intelligence. Number six, Levi Telden, San Antonio, Texas, a shliach, 34 years old. The Holy Cow Diet. And now we have the last five. Yakir Havin, Base Menachem Shliach, 22 years old, judging and misjudging people, an unlevel playing field. And now we have the winners. We'll go backwards. Remember this particular essay contest this year, we added a new winner, which is the winner, the student winner. Someone that's specifically a student from age 14 to 21. So the winner of the student winner is Machamendli Yeshayo, Yeshiva's Temchitmim Lud, Keiches Sichlim Vedikshim. Meaning the faculties, the cognitive and the emotional faculties. Age 16, he's the student winner of the fourth prize which is the $500 prize for a student. So congratulations. And now we come down to the final three. Are you all ready? Number three, Sterni Fogelman, teacher, Southern Connecticut, Hebrew Academy, USA, age 22. Her topic was, and choose life. Number two, Chane Hendel, Shlucha in Greece, age 18. Perfectionism. Steps to deal with perfectionism. And here is the number one winner of this year's 2018 My Life Chassidus Applied Contest. Label Ganevish, Lamplighter's Yeshiva, teacher in USA, 24 years old, reclaiming vulnerability. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to the second prize winner, the third prize winner, the student, and congratulations to all of you. Because as I've always mentioned, this is every one of you are winners. The, the essays, I've read not all of them, but many of them, tremendous. Unbelievable effort, invested time, and really showing how chassidus comes alive in, pers- in our personal lives, dealing with issues that we all deal with, contemporary issues. And I congratulate you all. You'll obviously be hearing from us. So again, this, with this we announce the winners. It's been an honor, a pleasure to be involved in this, this, in this uh, unprecedented 
effort and initiative of and I wish everyone to continue spreading chesidus, writing chesidus, discussing chesidus, applying chesidus, and until uh, we are zeichet to your chutza, will bring, and maybe this is the last step that will bring osimar as I said, benisin nigalu in this month of nisin, benisin asidin ligal. Everyone should have a kosher and freilich and pesach, a very simchadike and meaningful yudalif nisin, yudgimel nisin, and going into all of Pesach, we will not have a program next Sunday due to Yontif. The next My Life Chassidus Applied will be two weeks from now, Isru Chag, night, the day after Pesach. Again, 8 to 9 p.m., My Life Chassidus Applied. This is Simon Jacobson, Akosh and Afrelech in Pesach.